Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, non-binary friends of all ages, Las Vegas, Nevada proudly brings to you its World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Podcast of the World, the Jumpin' Bomb Angel, Tommy Tracy, the Glamour Girl, Olivia Grayson. That's gotta be wrestling. And today, we are discussing the WWF Survivor Series 1987, the inaugural Survivor Series, which took place Thanksgiving Day, November 26, 1987. In the Richfield Coliseum in the Richford Township, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio, with a live gate of 21,300 people. It is called the biggest event since WrestleMania 3. Olivia, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Yeah, we were a little behind on our schedule. Um, we just had some things get in the way. We weren't feeling very good. So, bad Chinese food. Bad Chinese food. <laughs> so we are here now talking about uh, bad World Wrestling Federation wrestling yes uh so hopefully we can stomach this yeah hopefully because i don't need to get sick again because it's not very fun um but the first first survivor series we've of course covered one last year's 2020 survivor series um but now we are to the inaugural one and olivia i don't know if you know this but there has been a certain event that we've covered the past few months that has always taken place on thanksgiving day and do you know what event that is uh starcade right yes indeed starcade has taken place on Thanksgiving, but um, this was Vince's head-to-head against Starcade because do you know what else took place on November 26, 1987? Uh, Starcade 1987. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so gotcha. we will get to that, of course, next week, but I wanted to do a WWF pay-per-view over a quote-unquote WCW pay-per-view. And boy, was Ooh. that the wrong decision because I'm assuming <sighs> the Starcade is probably better than yeah, the original probably. Survivor Series. But we get two Thanksgivings in a row. Interesting. So we're like that Rick and Morty episode from like last week. Yes. Where it was Thanksgiving for no reason. <laughs> um, but let's just hop into it, shall we? Awesome. Um, Olivia, you have, as usual, a uh, This Day in Wrestling History, correct? Absolutely. So we are recording this on August 3rd. So I'm going to go with uh, what happened on August 3rd. So on This Day in Wrestling History, 24 years ago today, at SummerSlam 1996... Owen Hart temporarily paralyzed Stone Cold Steve Austin during a match while attempting a pile driver, breaking Austin's neck. Yeah. Of course, this is a pretty iconic moment in wrestling history. Wouldn't that have been 97 history? if it was 24 years ago? Um, that's, that's just what the, I well, don't know. You that's are just wrong. what the internet said. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, I remember that. I remember watching that. You weren't even born yet. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I remember watching that, and even as a kid, was like, oh, my God, he's hurt. That's not good. So, yeah, yeah, he did break his neck. That um, he did. I guess Stone Cold probably got the last laugh in that scenario, but uh, that's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Owen Hart was great. Yeah. I should so, have either that joke. 24, 25 years ago. It was 97. I, I was just doing, yeah. I, I guess that was pretty simple math for me, but. Um, yeah, you're about to turn 24, so you think you would have picked up on that one. You would think, but I'm not that smart. Listen, it's okay. Sometimes people make mistakes because there is a shirt. From Target. That <laughs> I own the shirt, but it just says WrestleMania on it. Apparently, they reprinted it, and it's got the Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior on it from WrestleMania 7, but someone reprinted the shirt that said WrestleMania 6, and the moment I saw that, I was like, I hope my shirt doesn't see that say that, and I didn't notice it. Luckily, mine just says WrestleMania, so... Yeah, I'm confused as to why they decided to put a year on it. Yeah, Just someone, put WrestleMania yeah. on it. Um, especially because Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan were WrestleMania 6, not yeah. Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man, but... Beside the point, um, Olivia, we don't normally do news on this podcast um, for the retrospective past, yeah, episodes. The past episodes. However, 
That's some pretty big news, I'd say. Uh, the would, WWE releases Bray Wyatt, which is insane. Shocking, in fact. Um, thoughts? <laughs> I am kind of surprised just because sort of the whole idea is, is that when you're a top star in WWE, one of the things that will always keep you there will be merchandise sales. Um, and also just more theoretically, I guess, but just room to grow whether it be, like, your character or your role in the company or what have you. So this comes to a large surprise, and from what I have heard from other news sources, leaves a lot of the locker room feeling very insecure, Mm -hmm. which I would as well if one of the, you know, top-paid, top stars... Top-selling stars. Yeah, suddenly gets booted out. (sighs) It's, It's interesting. I would love to... I wish I could be a fly on the wall to see the reasoning behind that. Yeah. But, um, Becky most... Lynch, you better come back soon because you are in danger of being fired. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to assume that it probably had something to do with creative differences because I feel as though a few of the other notable people that have been released by WWE recently within the past year, that was sort of also along the same line. So it wasn't so much that they weren't performing well, but it was mostly creative differences. With Bray, Wyatt, with Bray Wyatt, I can most definitely see that because uh, the way in which they were taking his character in the direction that they were going was probably not something that he agreed upon. Yeah, so. um, and it's a bummer because through no fault of her own, Alexa Bliss is going to get a lot of shit for this. Oh, For absolutely. still being around and yep. having the gimmick that yep. he started. So, yep. Uh, oh. Do you almost ever wonder, like I know we joke a lot of times that like, WWE in particular has no sort of forethought, but do you ever think sometimes that they actually do? And so they sort of passed the torch and transposed that type of character onto her so that when they inevitably let Bray Wyatt go, that they could still... Not, I mean, obviously they have like the merchandising rights and all that kind of stuff to begin with, but just the, the rights to that sort of character. I guess so. Um... It's still strange. I don't know. That's, that's. I would feel weird if I were in her position. Yeah, I would too. I'd be like, can I just be the goddess again? Yeah. Like, because I don't want to get the shit that I'm about to get exactly. from these people. Even though there was a fucking hilarious Lily promo on uh, on Raw. And it's sad night. too because I do know that Alexa Bliss has gone on record to say that she does love the character that she's playing right now and that yeah. she loves the direction that it's going and that she feels as though she could be way more creative in this role than she has in the past with other gimmicks. So. Yep. I don't know. It's kind of a tough spot for her right now. Yeah. And with uh, Blake and Murphy being gone, uh, Braun Strowman being gone, and also Bray Wyatt now being gone, aside from Nikki Cross, everyone that Alexa Bliss has been paired with... Oh, and uh, Dax Harwood. Mm-hmm. Everyone that Alexa Bliss has partnered with is gone. And yeah. every member of the Wyatt family is officially gone from WWE. So That's wild. That's a shame. So, because the Wyatt family and Bray Wyatt were some of the coolest characters, and they did all of them dirty, um, Luke Harper mostly, so. I just have to wonder, though, what direction the the company itself plans on going. Well, I don't know, they they released the uh, new up-and-coming wrestler, I don't know if you've heard of him, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, he was also just released from his contract. (laughs) Yes. Um, But apparently he asked for his release, because, believe it or not, Ric Flair was uncomfortable with having an attractive younger woman around him, and he didn't like the storyline he was doing with Lacey Evans, so why didn't you release him months ago when she when they were when she got pregnant? You could have just released him then, right? Yeah, 
So, but beside the point, we'll move on to my deceased list because, as always, uh, why not follow up some sad news with more sad news? So, Olivia, we have 27 on the show. Wow. It's a lot. And those people are Andre the Giant, Bam Bam Bigelow, which first time we're getting Bam Bam, which is awesome, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Butch Reed, Davey Boy Smith, Dino Bravo, Donna Cristianello, The Dynamite Kid, The Fabulous Moolah, Mean Gene Oakland, Gorilla Monsoon, The King Harley Race, Hercules, Howard Finkel, Jim the Abbeville Nightheart, Luscious Johnny V, King Kong Bundy, Matilda the Bulldog, Miss Elizabeth, Mr. Fuji, Nikolai Volkov, Oliver Humperdinck, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Macho Man Randy Savage, Ravishing Rick Rude, The Outlaw Ron Bass, and Sensational Sherry Martell. So big list this week as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you like how I included Matilda on there? I don't know if she's actually dead, but this happened in 1987. I gotta assume the dog's dead, right? Yeah. So dogs don't live that long. No. That's 34 years ago. Right. So the dog was already looking long in the tooth. Yeah. All right. Ready to get into it? In, 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 into it? Ready as I'll ever be. God, my stutter still happens sometimes, <laughs> guys. I had a bad stutter when I was like 7 to like 10. That made fun it's endearing. Of a lot, it so. builds character. Thank you. You're I, way cooler for it. I'm cooler for I've got, yeah. yeah, cool. I got a stutter and, and I had a lisp. So, all right. So, on Survivor Series, Howard Finkel welcomes us to the Survivor Series and our commentators, Jesse the Body Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon, the former of which is wearing a snakeskin suit. And you pointed out tan snakeskin on top, silver snakeskin on the bottom. Oh, yeah. Which was Mismatched a choice. snakeskin. But uh, he tops that off with also wearing a pilgrim hat. That was incredible. I laughed so hard at that. Uh, <laughs> and Gorilla says that the show is going to be... I don't know. A happening. He always says it's a happening. Oh, okay. Every show <laughs> is a fucking happening. I don't know if shit's actually happening or not. So yeah, Gorilla know. always says it is. Uh, we're then backstage with a guy named Craig DeGeorge, who I am very unfamiliar with. Apparently he was just a sportscaster. Uh, he's backstage with the Honky Tonk Man's team. He gives a shouty super promo about how much better his team is than Macho Man's team. And you may be wondering, what is the Hockey Tonk Man's team? Well, we get our first match, and there are four matches on this card. Um, I think you could say that the first match is the mid-card Survivor Series match. They're all Survivor Series matches, by the way. Second match is the women's Survivor Series match. Then you get the tag team Survivor Series match. And then the main event Survivor Series match. Never mind the fact that Macho Man's in this match. I would consider a main eventer. But technically, I guess not at this point. So Team Hockey Tonk Man is, of course, the Hockey Tonk Man. King Harley Race, Outlaw Ron Bass, Hercules, and Dangerous Danny Davis with Bobby the Brain Heenan and the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Taking on Team Macho Man, Macho Man Randy Savage, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Um, a lot of legends in this match. Yeah. yeah a lot of, lot of big names in this one. Um, and then you've got Dangerous Danny Davis. Did you notice that he's uh, not Hercules Hernandez anymore? Now he's just Hercules? I did notice that, yeah, because yeah, when I made my note, I was like, wait a minute, that's not his full name. <laughs> but I guess it is. I just, it's so weird why he was Hercules Hernandez. Like, why wouldn't you just Hercules? Wouldn't that make more sense? That's a great question. I don't but, know. All right. Uh, so these matches, especially in the early years of Survivor Series, are super convoluted. And I know you can make an argument that they are now as well. But there's always something happening in the Survivor Series match now. This one is a lot of slog and rest holds and a lot of fucking just shit like not nothing happening in these matches whereas now if you hear a 45 minute survivor series match you know at least 43 minutes of it is non-stop fucking bad shit crazy stuff right so so forgive me if i uh don't talk about every move in this match 
lot of them are like chin locks yeah. and arm bars. Uh, Team Honky Tonk Man is out first. Uh, the captain is the new Intercontinental Champion. So I'm going to explain quickly why. Of course, we had the classic Ricky Steamboat versus Macho Man at WrestleMania 3. Ricky Steamboat decided, hey, I want to spend more time with my child that was just born. And Vince McMahon took much offense to that because he never loved his children. And uh, took the championship right off of Ricky Steamboat. Um, he still, of course, wrestled at, uh, you know, for the WWE and whatnot. Um, but just not as much as he would have had he been the Intercontinental Champion because he wanted to be there for the birth of his son. Um, Honky Tank Man, Honky Tank, Honky Tonk Man won the championship. And uh, he is, to this day, the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. He had that championship for one year, two months, and 27 days. 454 days, as I'm looking at it right here. That probably will never be broken, I don't think. Maybe? But I don't Who think knows? so. Maybe one day. Maybe one day when they get bored and need something to... They did it with the New Day with the demolition yeah, a couple years ago. True. So, But who wins the... Who holds that title for that long? Like, what wrestler now would you be like, I want that person to hold it for that long? True, yeah. Because, like... Paul Cruz? I not I don't care. I don't know. Um who else is a mid carter? Ricochet? The Miz? The Miz is the greatest intercontinental champion of all time in my book, but I mean maybe it would be cool to see somebody like I don't know, like Sami Zayn, maybe? Yeah, that'd be good. Shinsuke Nakamura? Nakamura would be a good one too, but yeah, they just that belt does not hold the same weight it did back in the eighties no, and nineties. Absolutely did not. So Alright, so let's get into this match. Uh Beefcake and Hercules start out the match for their teams, resulting in Herc nearly succumbing to a sleeper hold. Each member of the team, each member of Team Hockey Tonk Man, gets in the ring only to be hip tossed by the barber. Because why not just attack him? Every other person instead of just you know all at once would make more sense. Um, but I don't create matches. Uh, There's a lot of action. Each member of the team in each team gets tagged in, gets some offense. Something I'm sure I'll be saying a lot on this show. Duggan and Race, the legal man at the time, are the first two eliminations in Survivor Series history. And by first two at the same time, they get counted out while brawling on the outside. So instead of just being like, oh, this person's the first person ever in history to be eliminated, they have to have it be two people. So I think that's funny. Uh, Bass then beats on Savage for a little bit. He gets eliminated after, not Savage, but Ron Bass gets eliminated after he misses a tag to Beefcake and eats a knee to the face. Beefcake is then the next to be eliminated after the shake rattle and roll, even though to protect himself, I put that in quotations, he kicks out at like 3.1. It's like one, two, three, and then he's like, ah, oh, shoulder up. I almost had it, which is something they did in the 80s all the time, and I fucking hated. It's so disrespectful to be like, oh, I almost kicked out. You didn't. You still lost. Yeah. And you're like no-selling your opponent's stuff. Right, Hulk yeah. Hogan would do that shit all the time. Every time he lost, he's like, I need to kick out at 3.1, though. Ugh. And it just makes you look like such an asshole. It does. So... Uh, Roberts gets isolated by the heel team, but he shakes off a ton of punches from Danny Davis because Danny Davis ain't shit. Uh, and he eliminates Davis after the DDT and the crowd goes bananas for the DDT because I don't know if you know, but back then the DDT was one person used that move and that was Jake Roberts. And to see it was like a spectacle. Yeah. So, and like now where it's like DDTs are used in every match in different forms and stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you know how he invented the DDT? Mm-mm. So he was going for a headlock, like a falling headlock. But what happens was he tripped over something, like over his own feet or the ref's feet, and he ended up planting his opponent on his head. And he was like, oh, that's a pretty good move. Yeah. Uh, and the DDT apparently, this is the rumor, stands for Damien's Dinner Time, because Damien is, of course, his snake. 
So I like that. Yeah, me too. Uh, the snake then hot tags the dragon, uh, who is a house of fire. He chops the ever-loving crap out of Hercules, tags in Savage, who finishes him off with a top rope elbow. It is now down to Savage, Steamboat, and Roberts versus the Honky Tonk Man, who gets a little bit of a beating. But instead of fighting till the end, he loses the match after running away from the action and getting counted out. So your first team of soul survivors are Macho Man Randy Savage, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. But Olivia, what did you think of technically, not the first one we covered, but technically the very first Survivor Series match? (sighs) Okay, (laughs) so I love like almost everybody in this match. Okay, huge fan. And then and, there's Danny Davis. Yeah, and there's, yeah, there's Danny Davis. Um, you know, the crowd is very excited for this because they're obviously very excited to see the very first ever Survivor Series match. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where you've got a lot of big names, even though this is technically at this point supposed to be sort of the mid-card-ish yeah. type of match. Everybody's still like litty-titty for this. So everyone's jazzed. Everyone's ready to go. But you know... This match just had a lot of, like, showy wrestling, which by that I mean you have just, like, a lot of, like, like, you have, like, a few big spots. A lot of it is sort of transitional pieces, but it all just feels very disjointed. And so for that, I hated this match. This match could not end fucking sooner. So. I'm pretty sure this is the shortest match on the card. So. I know, and it all is, <laughs> like, down from here, basically. So for that, I gave this a 1.5 out of 5. Oh, damn. Um, I mean, I didn't give it much higher. I gave it a 2 out of 5. I okay. thought, just as I mentioned to begin with, um, a lot of just, like, nothing happened in this. It's a whole like, lot of nothing. Um, I mean, when the guys were on, they were very good. Yeah. Um, I loved, like, the cowardliness of the Honky Tonk Man running away against the three men that were, you know, his superiors at the moment. Um, I like Jake Roberts getting beat down and getting the hot tagged to... Uh, Ricky Steamboat, and then tagging in Macho Man, who at the elbow. Um, so that was all fun, but, like, the the middling stuff in between was just, oh, my God, end it. And I'll be saying that about a lot of these matches because when there are bright spots, they're fine, but there wasn't much to this show. No. And, um, yeah, so I gave it a 2 out of 5. I just thought it was, it was quite boring. Um, so then we're backstage with Bobby Heenan, who is with Team Andre. Of course, Bobby Heenan is still with Andre the Giant which consists of Rick Rude, Butch Reed, King Kong Bundy, and the one-man gang. Heenan says Andre pinned Hogan at WrestleMania 3. They show a little highlight of that. Hulk Hogan definitely kicked out at, like, two and a half. Yeah. I don't know why they're like, Andre pinned him. He did it. Yeah. Uh, and he will do it again tonight. Andre is then the master on the mic says, I will do it tonight. That sounded way more Russian than French, but I can't do an Andre. <laughs> Except unless I'm, like, him from... Uh, Princess Bride, when I'm like, anybody want a peanut? <laughs> Hello, pretty lady. Um, all right, so we move on to our women's match, which I did not think we'd get on this show. No. I didn't even know this many women wrestled yeah. in the WWE. Where did the they time. get all these women? Because yeah. I remember you joked, you were like, there were literally three women signed to yeah. WWE at the time. So where they got all these women... Who knows? Who knows? So we've got Team Fabulous Moolah, because apparently she's a face out of nowhere, uh, which consists of the Fabulous Moolah, Velvet McIntyre, Rockin' Robin, and the Jumpin' Bomb Angels, who were just so awesome. Uh, and their names, and forgive me if I mispronounce these, because I probably will. Um, there is, oh my god, where do I have them? Give me a second. I'm so sorry. This is live TV, everyone. It's Suki Yamakaze, 
And, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm not going to remember the other one's name. Oh, Norio Tatino. Those were their names. These girls, babe, were like 20, 21 years old at this time. Yeah, how crazy is that? Yeah, they were super young. Uh, And they are taking on Team Sherry Martell. First time we get to talk about Queen Sherry, which is awesome. uh, Who was the WWF Women's Champion at the time. Uh, Donna Christianello. Don Marie, not the Don Marie from ECW and the Ruthless Aggression Area. And I shit you not, I did not remember this, but the WWF Women's Tag Team Champions, Judy Martin and Lalani Kai of the Glamour Girls. Um, so let's just talk about that real quick. I did not remember there being WWF Women's Tag Team Champions at this time, but once I saw this match, I was like, oh, wait a second. Royal Rumble 1988's coming up. Or yeah. 1988, yeah. And we get the tag team match, which I remembered of the Jumpin' Mom Angels versus the Glamour Girls, which this match would make you very excited to see it if you've seen this match. Definitely. So, but thoughts on there being tag team championships for women back then? You know, I had sort of wanted to reserve this for talking about the match itself, but it is so amazing. You know, I, I have seen some of these matches uh, because when I was doing research in college about women's wrestling, in particular, the history of women's wrestling, not only did I talk a lot about uh, Sherry Martell in particular, but also I had sort of started to meddle a little bit into tag teams for women and sort of like going back, you know, starting from the you know, current time period and then uh, backward. And so I had talked about them a little bit and researched a little bit. So I was sort of aware um, of these tag teams, but uh, nothing could have prepared me for watching this match on this show. Yeah. And before I give it all away, I just have to say that this women's match is like the bright spot of the show. Oh yeah, this is the best match on the card. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Right. And it also did go on a little too long, but everyone in this match brought it, including Fabulous Moolah, who I was like... She was throwing people around and, like, mm-hmm. doing really yeah. good wrestling moves. I'm like, God damn. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just get into it because yeah, I'm excited to absolutely. talk about this. So, um, Jess Ventura starts the match off by saying he has two great moves, movies, The Predator and The Running Man. And I had to make a note of that because he is not wrong. Those are two no. fantastic movies. <laughs> so, uh, Sherry begins the match uh, by slamming Velvet's face um, into the turnbuckle. Uh, Velvet then elbow drops Donna Cristianello in the face and Gorilla comments that he's glad he's retired. And I'm like... Would you be in the match with Velvet McIntyre if you weren't retired? I I don't know what you're talking about there, Chief. Uh, Okay, so what I would say is the commentary call of the night. Jesse Ventura says, You want to talk about women's liberation, gorilla? Well, these women are liberated. And I was like, What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. They're just wrestling, dude. Like, There was a comment that he had made before that that like I was starting to write down. That I was like, oh, wow, Jesse Ventura says something very forward-thinking about women and not degrading in the slightest. And then he said that, and I was like, wait a minute. Well, I mean, I don't think he meant it in a degrading way. No, it's just I a think dumb was, thing to say. I think he was like had like a list of like positive things to say about women so he didn't get in trouble. And right. uh, he was just like running through the list, and maybe something got cut off or something where uh, he was supposed to say something that made more sense than this. Yeah. But, uh, but he literally says, you talk about women's li- liberation. Well, these women are liberated. It's like, yeah, that's what women's liberation means. But in spite of that, Tommy, I do want to point out that this is so much more progressive and mature of a conversation 
then say fast forward to 10 years on that commentary team. Oh boy. And so it just you, What do you mean you don't like puppies? It just absolutely blows my mind that like we regressed somehow and then had to progress from that regression. So, you know, we've got great women's wrestling in this match. Legitimate women wrestlers who brought it all have a commentary team who's talking about them as if they were also their male counterparts, you know. Yeah, so, I guess you're right because Gorilla made that, that strange comment. But it's like, yeah, she probably could kick your ass, Gorilla. So. Yeah, so, I mean, there was nothing inappropriate that this commentary team had to say about these women. And no. I was blown away by that yeah. just in itself. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesse said both of the Jumpin' Bomb Angels looked alike. So, because they're from Japan. So, naturally, you know. Well, Okay. <laughs> Uh, but so, that's different than being sexist, I guess, That's true, right? yeah. It's just some good old-fashioned racism. It yeah. was the 80s, I guess. <laughs> uh, Donna Cristianello is the first woman eliminated in Survivor Series history. Um, after Velvet McIntyre rolls her up, Don Marie is then also quickly eliminated after a Rock and Robin crossbody. I can't believe there was a fucking wrestler named Rock and Robin. Right. Uh, the Jumpin' Bomb Angels both get some awesome high-flying offense, offense, something totally foreign at the time because A, it was high-flying moves, which you didn't get a lot of back then unless you were in like Japan or Mexico. And B, especially back then, no one expected women to hit these moves. Yeah. They were doing like top rope cross bodies and top rope like arm drags. That shit like Rey Mysterio made super popular mm-hmm. in the 90s and these women were doing it in 87. Uh, the heels finally then get an elimination after Sherry hits a suplex on Rock and Robin. Velvet uh, hits a tremendous spinning crossbody, which it's like, where the hell did that come from? I didn't know you could do that. We covered her at WrestleMania too, by the way. She lost to Moolah in like yeah. 12 seconds. Um, Moolah then gets tagged in. Uh, she gets eliminated by Judy Martin, but not after getting some really sweet offense of her own. We then get the timekeeper botch as both of uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels beautifully bridge out of a pin, but the asshole still rings the bell as if they got eliminated. So no fault of the women. They kicked out. Yeah. The guy's like, ah, women can't kick out of moves even though they beautifully did. Uh, then I said, Cesaro, eat your heart out, as Velvet McIntyre hits a massive swing on Sensational Sherry and eliminates her, so eliminates the women's champion. Uh, Lalani Kai then eliminates Velvet after a slingshot body drop, and we're down to a tag team match, which is foreshadowing the women's tag team match we'll get at Royal Rumble 1988. Yes. But both members of the Glamour Girls are eliminated after some excellent high-flying offense by the Jumpin' Bomb Angels. As well as Jimmy Hart eating a massive, he sells a beautiful dropkick from these women. And he, like, flies out of the ring and lands on his head. Um, so good for him taking that bump, too. Um, and your soul survivors are the Jumpin' Bomb Angels. So, Olivia, um, I guess we already talked about what you thought of the match, but let's give your grade on it, yeah? Okay. Unless you want to further talk about how awesome this match was. So, I gotta change my grade for this. I really do. <laughs> I truly, truly do. I hate to do this while we're recording, but it's okay. I've done it so it. many times. I don't so, know if you've ever heard me clacking oh. over here, guys, but it's usually because I'm writing something new or changing my score. So, so I did not. Ha- Unfortunately, I did not have very high expectations for this match. However, upon watching it, well, first of all, I didn't have high expectations because Fabulous Mula was involved. However, I was totally shut down and proven wrong from the moment the match started. Because these women not only brought it, but they fucking showed up. And to be honest with you, the way in which the match proceeded is something that you would have seen, not from women in particular, but just from any wrestler, 10 years ahead of their time, 20 years, 30 years ahead of their time. 
And almost, I mean, basically now up until today, the way, the moves that they executed, plus the way in which the match progressed, there was not one dead spot in the whole match, okay? And even though there were some slight minor botches here and there, just maybe a couple, these women absolutely killed it. And one of my favorite moments in this match is when Velvet channels are best, I guess, what most people would say, like, Cesaro, you know? Um, I guess I guess now we, we can look at it as Cesaro being inspired by Miss Velvet, you know? <laughs> Which is really cool, because she, you know, hits that swing, and it was so awesome to see. I was shook. I was absolutely shocked. Um, and to see some of these moves, not only in a women's wrestling match, but in an 80s women's wrestling match alone... Uh, was truly not only inspiring, but it it uh, it moved me honestly. So for that, I give this a four out of five because I liked this way more than I have could have ever anticipated. And how women's wrestling regressed in the mainstream after this match for many years is beyond me. Yeah, how um, it regressed from this, I will have no idea. Me, me either. Um, this match was awesome, and I like to think that like someone like Lita or even Io Shirai watch the Jump of Bomb Angels and they're like, I want to wrestle like that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for Lita, while she is awesome, she didn't get a lot of help in that. She had a Trish Stratus to her name and that was about it. Right. Um, but Io Shirai has had a lot of great opponents to work yes. with and I like to think that she was inspired by these two. Um, I gave a support out of five as well. This match was awesome, if not a little too long. Um, Still awesome, especially the tag team foreshadowing for the Royal Rumble, which, if I remember correctly, is also the best match on that card. So, very excited to see that. Lilani Kai was awesome. Fabulous Mula was awesome. I yeah. didn't expect to fucking say that. Um, all the other women, like Donna Christianello and Don Marie, didn't do much, but Sensational Sherry was awesome, and she is so fucking underrated. Cannot wait to get her to her as a manager, because she is, in my opinion, one of the best managers of all time. So, pretty excited about this match. Four out of five. The only problem with it is it just could have been like five minutes shorter, maybe. But um, I can see that. It's again, so... To be fair, all of these matches should have been shorter. Yes, <laughs> so... yes. It's so cool to, I guess, you know, it's one thing to kind of sit at a computer and shuffle through books and do sort of very, for lack of a better term, academic research on these women. And to get to, like, basically know them on the other side of that, and then to, like, now go back and, like, actually watch that. Um, Sherry Martell in particular, I cannot wait till we start to cover her more, because I have written so much about that woman, have very high praises for her. Um, yeah, literally a, a legend, an absolute legend. So yeah. I can't, I cannot wait to start covering her more. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. Uh, speaking of legends, we are on to our 20-man 10 tag team yes. traditional Survivor's Elimination match. <sighs> so this, instead of being 5 on 5, is 10 on 10. Yes. And it is heel tag teams versus the face tag teams, essentially. And when one member of the team is eliminated, so let's say the Heart Foundation is in this. If Bret Hart got pinned, that means the entire Heart Foundation is gone. Yes. If uh, B. Brian Blair gets pinned, the Killer Bees are gone. Blah, blah, blah. So... Our heel team is the Bolsheviks, Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov, who are with the Doctor of Style Slick, the Hart Foundation, Brett and Jim Neidhart with Jimmy Hart, the first appearance of Demolition Axe and Smash, which I'm super stoked about. They are accompanied by Mr. Fuji, the new, essentially, 
Dream Team, Greg the Hammer Valentine and the World's Strongest Man, Dino Bravo, with Luscious Johnny Valiant, and the Islanders, Haku and Tama, with Bobby Heenan. Lots of managers in this match as yes. well. Um, we get Haku as well for the first time. I know. And we just saw Haku on AEW TV. We did. Oh, cool. his son to the ring. So Haku, legend, total badass. Uh, they are taking on the team of Strike Force, which is Rick Martel and Tito Santana, the Killer Bees, B. Brian Blair and Jim and Jim Brenzel, the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith, and the Dynamite Kid, who of course have Matilda with them, that sweet pea. Um, the fabulous Rougeau brothers, Jacques and Ramon, and the young, I almost said the young bucks, the young stallions, Paul Roma and Jim Powers. Um, I'd say the heel team is a lot better than the face team on this one. If you just put the put the Bulldogs on the heel team, they'd be like the best team yeah. in the world, but... Alright, so this is a long-ass match. Like, a long-ass match. It is 37 minutes, Olivia. Ugh. It is longer by 13 minutes than the second longest match, which was the first match. So, we're going to get into it. We'll do our best. Ugh. Um, <laughs> Wake me up when you're done covering it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think we can arguably say this is the worst match on the card. Oh my and, god! And through no fault of the wrestlers, I don't think. No, it there's just took so forever. there's so many great teams on this on this in this match in particular that I just like uh, uh it it kills my soul. Yeah, it kills my soul that this does. match is so bad. Uh, so the best part about this match, in my opinion, is that Nikolai Volkov got to sing the Russian national anthem without being interrupted. Yeah, so that's nice. Probably but first time yep. almost that we've covered. Right, but unfortunately for him, the Bolsheviks are immediately eliminated when Tito pins Boris Yukov. So that didn't last very long. What are you gonna do? Uh, there's a ton of quick tags in this match. I mean, everyone gets in the ring, does something, tags out, does something. I mean, there's just Jim Neidhart gets in, hits a clothesline, then he tags in Bret Hart, who hits a drop kick or something like that. That's that's what's happening. Uh, Axe then pins a member of the Rougeau brothers after an errant crossbody that he misses, which I'm just like, dude, you literally went down by missing your own crossbody. You got pinned from that. So that's, the Rougeau's just kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, Demolition are then disqualified and eliminated for throwing the ref across the ring as Mr. Fuji just beats the shit out of Dynamite Kid with his cane, which I always thought was funny because Mr. Fuji did not give a fuck if the referee was looking. No. He's just going <laughs> to hit you with his cane. He did not care. Uh, Jesse then buries the entire city of Cleveland and the township of Richmond, which I thought was funny. He's like, we're here in Cleveland, gorilla. And that was really bad. Let me try that again. We're here in Cleveland, gorilla. That's still very bad. I'm still sick, guys. Bear with me. Um, but he says that being in Cleveland is bad. And then gorilla says, uh, we're in Richmond township, Jess. And then he goes, that's even worse. So <laughs> he's like, okay. Um, Double burn. Yeah. Brett then breaks up a pin attempt on his brother-in-law, allowing the anvil to get the pin on Tito. Um, then apparently Jesse's great, great, great grandfather, Ephraim the Body Ventura, which of course he had to be the body. <laughs> easily one of, of the course. funniest things that Jesse What else said. would he be? So his great, great grandfather came over on the Mayflower and he gave Jesse the pilgrim hat that he's wearing. So <laughs> that's something that was said on commentary. I don't know what was funnier about that exchange. The fact that the pilgrim hat was from his great, great grandfather <laughs> or the fact that his name was Ephraim the body, which it probably wasn't Ephraim, but still fucking hilarious. So oh, God, thank I you, love it. Thank you, Jesse Ventura, for always I being a it. delight. If you didn't notice, the commentary was much more exciting than yes, this match. Yes, it was. Uh, Haku then just completely no-sells Davy Boy's running power slam, and then he just no-sells Dynamite Kid's diving headbutt. Dynamite and Davy are then eliminated after a thrust kick from Haku. Paul Roma enters the match. Uh, he eliminates Valentine, 
uh, after a top rope sunset flip after he's attempting a figure four leg lock. After, like, four hours of this match, uh, Brett and Nightheart are eliminated after a crossbody from Jim Brunzel, and the Young Stallions and the Killer Bees become the sole survivors after one of the bees put their masks on, confusing the ref, who doesn't know who the legal man is, because apparently seeing the other Killer Bee would have been like, oh, that's too hard for me. Um, so Tama gets pinned, and the Young Stallions and the Killer Bees win this match. And if you're thinking, Tommy, you didn't say a lot, that's because as long as this match is... It's literally like chin locks and rest Ugh. holds and elbow drops and kicks. Uh, so, Olivia, what did you think of our 20-man traditional Survivor Series match? I literally have nothing else to say other than this match was so long. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, okay, so a question. This The famous 2016 Raw vs. SmackDown Men's Survivor Series match is lauded as, like, the best Survivor Series match of all time. It's 45 minutes long, and you can watch that match, and it goes by like a train through the night, and you're having fun. I gotta ask what the difference is. Like, what... Why is a 45-minute match so much, like, more enthralling and better to watch than this match that's not much shorter... I just think it was a combination of things. Um, Too many teams in the match, for starters. Um, So you don't really have a lot of time to really sort of pre-plan anything in terms of, like, really big spots. And so, you know, the more ingredients you add to the soup, if you will, uh, the more muddled it's going to be, really. (laughs) And I think it was poor production, poor planning... Because when you look at it, on paper, you think, oh, you have all these great tag teams. This is going to be a yeah. banging match. And it just is not. It is totally the opposite of that. And probably, for the majority of these tag teams, probably one of the weaker points of their career. So Super bored. Oh, my God. I finally, when we got through this match, I was like, thank God. Because I cannot stand to look at these <laughs> teams standing and when you look at it it's 10 on 10 basically so the crazy thing is is that you have so many people standing ringside that first of all if i were if i were hypothetically if i were sitting in the audience i would be pretty peeved because you couldn't really fucking see anything if you're sitting on is sitting in the floor seats um just the backs of yeah you want to be up in the terrace at that point exactly (laughs) so man this would would have been terrible to watch as it was happening yeah (laughs) Uh, did you give a grade? Oh, yeah. Um, I gave this a 1 out of 5 because this was, like, longer than my entire life. Yes, I agree. This was horrible. Um, <laughs> and I gave it a 1. I mean, God. Ugh. The fact that Jesse Ventura's comment about his great-great-grandfather what, being the highlight of this match should say something about how boring this match is. Also, shouldn't it be, shouldn't it be a farther lineage than just his great-great-grandfather? You would, th- you would think. But... Any great city is. Whatever. Beside the point. Uh, shall we move on? Yes. On we're moving on to what I think was the best part of this entire show. And no, it is not the main event. It is the origin of the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, who is cutting promos with Virgil. So it's the first time, technically not the first time we've covered Ted DiBiase because he was on a takeover not too long ago. Right. But the genesis, if you will, of Ted oh, DiBiase and Virgil. Um, so he's counting his money. He's like riding in a limo. Um, he says, while he is spending Thanksgiving striving, the wrestlers are spending Thanksgiving surviving, which I was, I was like, that was a good one. That's a good one. Um, then he shows some, like, clips of some of his, like, evil deeds he's done to fans. So he'll, he has a kid get, uh, 
up on this podium that he's on and say, I'll give you $300 if you can do 10 push-ups. And the kid only does nine. And then another kid is like, if you can dribble this basketball 15 times, I'll give you $200. And on the 14th dribble, he kicks the ball so that the kid can't dribble it 15 times. The creme de la creme, though, is for $100, a real $100 bill, Mm -hmm. someone has to kiss his foot. And the guy does it. And this is a famous clip because do you know who this young 15, 16-year-old man who kissed Ted DiBiase's foot in the ring was? Rob Van Dam! Yeah, it was Rob Van Dam, <laughs> which was so awesome. You can A see very, it. very yeah. young Rob Van yeah. Dam. And you can see it on his documentary that's on the WWE Network, or sorry, on Peacock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I still call it the network. And he talks about it. He's like, I did it. I kissed his foot. After he had a match, by the way. So his foot's got to be sweaty. Um, and Rob Van Dam said, that was a real $100 bill that I got. I know that as a teenager, you want to spend the money you have as soon as possible. I might have kept that. Yeah, I would have kept that. So, um, it, this is not the first time, or sorry, this is not the last time that we will discuss former or future famous wrestlers in crowds of wrestling events. Because WrestleMania Six has a lot of young Canadians in the crowd that I cannot wait to talk about. So, I love it. But what did you think of these uh, Ted DiBiase promos? That oh doing? my god, this was like, honestly, I felt whilst watching the last match that I was being drowned and then this pulled me up for some air because I this was so funny I love this and I don't who knows why it was that this it was this particular pay-per-view that they just decided to insert all these promos into but it was golden oh my god if (laughs) I could like compare it to anything now it would just be the whole uh, L.A. Knight, Cameron Grimes storyline, which obviously is connected. Oh, is someone someone becoming a fan of Cameron I'm Grimes? I'm coming around because because now that I've seen the reference, I get it, and it's funny. Yeah, I guess you don't have a lot of reference with Teddy Biasi and no, Virgil, right? No, not at all. Which was not very funny because, you know, having a, a black man as your servant, if you will. Um, not a good look. Not a good look, but um, yeah, these were very funny. I love the one. I know it's fucked up, but where he kicks the basketball from the kid, <laughs> it's that was so the funny. Best. And like, you want to feel bad for this kid, but you're also like, that is hilarious. Yeah. And this kid is just like, he's looking at him like, you kicked my ball. But Ted's like, oh, you couldn't dribble it 15 times. So you su-. he literally tells the kid he sucks and tells him to get back <laughs> in the crowd. Like, how amazing Jesus. is that? Jesus. <sighs> Ted DiBiase was great. He was so good. He should have got a, he should have been a world champion, but uh, they went with someone else. So instead of him. All right, main event time, Olivia. Are you ready? Yes. So we have Team Hogan versus Team Andre, a mini uh, rematch of WrestleMania three, if you will, with more people involved. Team Hogan consists of, of course, world champion Hulk Hogan, uh, Ken Patera, who is a actual Olympian, weightlifting Olympian, The Rock, Don Morocco, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who is accompanied by oh, and for the first time ever, I'm very excited about this, and I've said this a lot on this show with people recovering. Bam Bam Bigelow, who is accompanied by Oliver Humperdinck, but I don't give a shit about Oliver Humperdinck, no offense. Bam Bam Bigelow, one of the best big men of all time. Super underrated. Um, taking on Team Andre, Andre the Giant, the one-man gang, first time we're covering him as well. King Kong Bundy, Ravishing Rick Rude, and the natural Butch Reed, who are, of course, accompanied by Slick and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, a lot of legends in this match, too. A lot of people will cover. Um... Down the line, Don Morocco and Paul Orndorff kind of at the end of their career. Um, I was so... You saw, like, my eyes lit up when I saw Bam Bam Bigelow, though. I was so excited. Um, But the best part about this was before the match, 
there was a promo with Hulk Hogan and his team. And Olivia, can you remember the sound that these men were making when Hogan was hyping them up? And which I can only assume on like 10 pounds of fucking cocaine each. I, no, so I, I couldn't tell you. They're sitting there, and Hogan comes in all fucking sunburnt and, and buff and oiled down, and they're basically, like, barking. They're like, <laughs> and they're like, every time Hogan says something, they're like, <laughs> like that fucking episode of South Park with the motorcycles. That's what all of these big, beefy men sounded like, and it was hilarious. Because I'm like, this is, I think Vince McMahon looked back at shit like this and was like, this is why I need to have scripted promos all the time not realizing that the promo game has changed so much from oily big beefy men who couldn't talk that they could probably do their own thing yeah but my god this was so funny and this was amazing because again sounded like motorcycles just five big motorcycles in a room all right so the match starts rick rude gets his ass beat right off the bat he gets slammed by hogan and then bigelow butch reed is eliminated early after a leg drop from the champion because ain't no one kicking out of that bad boy um well there is someone that kicks out of it do you know who it is First person to ever kick out of the Hulk Hogan leg drop? No. That would be, if I am not mistaken, I could be wrong, actually. I'm not going to put my put my foot down yet, but I think it's the Ultimate Warrior. Really? Yeah, I think so. Interesting. I, but, feel like, I feel like it was somebody else, like yeah. like Shawn Michaels or something, for whatever reason. Uh, no, Shawn Michaels just got leg dropped and then did the best flips of all time True. afterwards. True. Uh, Andre and Hogan too. Electric Boogaloo is about to start, but Pantera, Pantera, Pantera. <laughs> hell yeah! <laughs> we're the Cowboys from Hell. Um, actually, do you want to hear a fun Pantera fact? Yes. So Pantera is known for like being super like dirty speed metal, right? Like Cowboys right. from Hell, Cemetery Gate, stuff like that. Walk. Um, did you know that in the eighties, Pantera was not a speed metal band? Really. Pantera was a hair metal band. Oh hell yeah! And he wasn't Dimebag Daryl. He was Diamond Daryl, and they had the big hair and the makeup. You cannot find these records anywhere because they have buried them. But yeah, Pantera used to be a hair metal band. That's so, interesting. Yeah. You gotta pay to bury all that. Yeah, you can find the music on YouTube, but you can't like buy a physical record without spending a small fortune. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, good stuff. Um, anyway, so <laughs> Ken Patera tags himself in instead of uh, by accident because Hogan high-fives him. And then Hogan's all pissed off that he can't be in the match. Idiot, you high-fived your partner. The referee sees that as... Why would you high-five That's someone a, yeah, in a tag match? Yeah, it's a tag. And Hogan's like, brother. And then I think, why don't you just tag yourself back in? Exactly. Why is Hulk Hogan the dumbest fucking person on the I planet? I don't know. He's like making a sex tape, saying the N-word, doing high-fives as tags. <laughs> I just, I'm sick of Hulk Hogan already. This man's all ass backwards. Yeah. Um, so One Man Gang then leaves his feet. One Man Gang, of course, being a very big man. As the Olympian Patera hits him with a crossbody. Patera is then unceremoniously eliminated after um, a big, big clothesline from the one-man gang. Orndorff is then the next eliminated after Rude rolls him up and holds the tight. So we are down to uh, three on four? Three on four. Yes, that is my math. Um, Rude is then quickly eliminated right after as Morocco pins him after a Hogan knee. And Hogan did a jumping knee, which I did not... Not like a Daniel Bryan running knee, but like a, you know, like a Triple H jumping knee. Yeah. And... Gotta ask again. So Harley Race, big, big name in the NWA back in the day. The the Hulk Hogan of that time, if you will. Basically, yeah. Was doing those running knees. That's where Triple H got it from because Triple H's favorite wrestler was Harley Race. Yeah. Do you think that's Hulk Hogan kind of pulling a power move? Like, Harley Race, you're not, definitely. this is my thing to do now, yeah, brother. Like, definitely. you don't get it. Yeah. Kind of annoying, right? Yeah. Um, So Morocco attempts a slam on one-man gang but cannot lift him. So he gets eliminated after one-man gang falls on him. 
Hogan then gets the hot tag as Andre also gets one from his team and the two launch punches at each other. But Bundy pulls Hogan to the floor and Hogan gets counted out while fighting Bundy all around the ring. And then Hulk Hogan's all pissed that he got counted out. You're the champion, dude. You should be smarter than this. And he's like trying to get back at the ring. And this is the start, at least from what we've covered, of Hulk Hogan, 80s Hulk Hogan, being the biggest crybaby on the planet. Yes. And like... I don't know what, maybe it's just the jaded minds that I have now of watching wrestling back then, but the crowd ate this up. It's like, oh yeah, Hogan, get back in there. And I'm like, dude, you lost fair and square. You didn't get back in the ring. Why are you crying over it? Yeah. Um, and I cannot wait to get more of these Hogan things later down the line. because Hoganisms. It just, <laughs> Hoganisms, yeah, essentially. Um, but he's like trying to get back in and hype the crowd up. And maybe as a little kid, I would have been like, yay. But even as a kid watching these back in the day, I was like, you... You lost. Fair and square. Fuck out of here. Yeah, peace out. You know peace what? Awesome, out. You know what? You should have done. You should have just fucking hit someone with a chair, because yeah. that's the face thing to do. Because he's done that before too. Um, so, where am I? Oh yeah. So Bam Bam is being outnumbered three to one. He fights his way out of the scenario. He eliminates King Kong Bundy after a beautiful Bam Bam sling slot sling shot slash. See what I mean? About not Hash being able to talk. slasher. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one man gang then brutalizes Bam Bam, um, but misses a top rope headbutt, allowing the beast from the east to drape an arm over him for the elimination. But his celebration does not last too long as Andre catches Bam Bam in a side suplex, kind of, um, and gets the win for his team. So the sole survivor is Andre the Giant. But our hero, our red, white, and blue hero, Hulk Hogan, has to come out, comes into the ring, and beats down the Giant with his title belt, um, because that's what good guys do. They beat down a man that beat them fair and square with championship belts. Um, but Olivia, what did you think of our main event? Oh, man. What a freaking... I mean, what you described was a lot, but in actuality, when you watch this, it's really not all that much. <laughs> so what a freaking snoozer and a way to end the show. I hated this. This was confirmed to me that, like, the women absolutely... Stole the show. Came for blood and killed it and stole the show out right from underneath all of these very you normally very fantastic male competitors but god damn were they all on like autopilot i mean maybe it was because like this was like for a majority of them like the first time that they would have to like perform on a holiday or something i don't know what it is but like holy cannoli was this like the worst (laughs) this wasn't obviously the worst match of the show it was a little bit better than some of them but honestly not by much so, I gave it a 2 out of 5 because, again, wasn't my most favorite thing in the world and, frankly, quite the snoozer to yeah. end the show. I gave it a 1.5. Aside from Bam Bam Bigelow and Rick Rude in this match, I didn't enjoy much. And that's not to take anything away from, like, Andre the Giant, who literally cannot move around very much anymore. Yeah. And even someone like um, Don Morocco or One Man Gang, who I like, they just didn't do anything. And it's... It's boring. And you know what? Unfortunately, as much as I love the Royal Rumble, the first Royal Rumble is not very good either. No. So, obviously, Survivor Series gets a lot more entertaining and a lot better later down the line. But for right now, it just wasn't it. So, I gave this a 1.5. Um, but, Olivia, before we get into our final things, let's do some heels and faces. What were the uh, faces being the things you liked, heels being the things you did not like? Yeah, this is going to be pretty simple for me. Um, faces definitely just the women's match everything about it everybody that was involved including fabulous moolah because as much as i hate her as a person she really did something even at this age 
She was like, I'm in the ring with all these women that are 30 year my senior or junior, so. Yeah, so loved the women's match, thought it was killer. Heels, literally everything else. Did not even enjoy one single bit of the rest of it. Okay, I'm going to echo what you said. However, I'm going to add into my faces Bam Bam Bigelow's, uh, um, you know, everything he did. Because he was that plucky baby face that tried to come back and he did an awesome job. Because when he got all alone with the other guys... He was carrying that match oh, on his back. Yes. So the women, of course, run the show. Bam Bam Bigelow getting a distant second, but their heels being just absolutely everything else. Definitely. And, of course, we'll see much better matches from all these people. These guys are legends. Every single dude in this um, show, except for, like, maybe Dangerous Danny Davis, is a legendary wrestler. I'm pretty sure the amount of Hall of Famers on this card alone is disgusting. So... Uh, but Olivia, what are your match of the night? Well, should we even say what? Why is the women's match and the jumping bomb angels your match and performer of the night? <laughs> um. Yeah. So I would just have to say because it was a bright spot and otherwise a lull of a show, and this match also introduced me to the jumping bomb angels, who I um had previously been unfamiliar with. So that's really cool. Um, should I go ahead and give my final rating? Um, yeah, go ahead and give okay. your final rating. So, well. my final rating, 1.5 out of 5, because nice. this show really did not live up to its hype. However, as we know, the premise of the show gets more refined as time goes on, and is a pay-per-view that still goes on today, so obviously not that much of a tanker. Yeah. I also am giving it a 1.5, um, and... Just for the same reasons, like, as great as the women's match was, everything else was just a slog. And I think I was being generous with some of these ratings, but I can't give it much higher than that. Um, you know, I gotta I gotta say, though, we did forget something in the faces category. Did we really? Yeah, the Ted DiBiase thing. Oh, that was just yes. great. And even though technically that didn't happen on the show, it was just, like, flashbacks to it. Still great. Um, women's match, Jumping Bomb Angels, of course. I would like to, you know, say that a lot of, all the women did a great job i thought like i was impressed and entertained by all the women in their match the jump of bomb angels just truly impressed me the most oh yes they were awesome uh, if you can get a hold of some of their new japan stuff from the 80s which i've seen a little bit of not a lot but a couple matches god those those women were great they were so good um my attire of the night um not much to talk about here no one really pulled it out but just because it's classic and just because I love it. Bam Bam Bigelow's... Of course. His onesie with the flames. He's just so awesome. I of fucking course. love Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, but that's it. That's a wrap on Survivor Series 1987, the very first one. We'll be back next week with Starcade 87, which, of course, like I said at the beginning of the show, took place on the same night. Same it will be fun to juxtapose the two shows next it week. It really will. If we had more time, I would have been like, let's do both of them on the same show. Yeah. But that would have been like a long whole thing. Yeah. So we'll do it next week. And we'll get to that because, of cool. course, we'll have some Ric Flair and some Dusty Rhodes and all the greats that were in NWA at the time. But, Olivia, before we head out, would you like to take us home? Absolutely. Please go follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. That's where we post good memes, bad memes, all memes in between. Also, when we post when we go live or shortly thereafter because I'm very forgetful. If you check out the link in our Instagram bio, it's going to take you to all of the major podcast hubs that you can listen to our episodes on and also take you to our very lovely Redbubble page where you can get some cool That's Gotta Be Wrestling merch with our logo on it. And as always, Tommy, thank you for talking wrestling with me. Of course. Thank you for talking wrestling with me. Um, before we go, I do want to say, like, Survivor Series 87 this week, Starcade 87 next week, Royal Rumble 1988 the week after that, and then do you know what we were covering the week after that? Because we're going to it. SummerSlam! Yeah, we're going to be at SummerSlam. So 
just as a heads up, that show is not going to be our traditional nope. try to beat by beat because that's going to be impossible. Yeah. We could go back and watch it, but we're not going to do that. No, I'm not going to so, do that. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I love so, you, but not that much. Yeah. <laughs> so we will cover that in a few short weeks as well, as long as Las Vegas does not shut down again. <sighs> so where you got that mask get vaccinated, people. Yes. Uh, but thank you for listening, everyone. And to close us out, I'll go back. <laughs> Brother. <laughs>